uh, I think it was November, December, uh, Dave Clark and, uh, and I met. We had elders there too, where we met with small groups of you and we challenged you in the gear area of giving. And I just want to say thank you for those of you that came to those meetings, for those of you who responded to our call and when we shared kind of the details of where we're at, where we're going. I just want to say thank you because uh, our giving is up this year compared to last year. Um, our giving online is up, and I, that was one of the things I challenged you to do is to give online uh, because you tend to be, we tend to be more, and we do that, the Collins family, you tend to be more consistent when you give online. And right now we have over 40% of our people give online. That's how they give. And that's up from about 30%. It's almost up 10% uh, over what it was uh, a year ago. So I just want to just take a moment and say thank you so much because uh, that's how we're able to, to do ministry here. And that's what we do. We don't do extra things, but we ask God's people to give and to tithe. And we'll talk more about that uh, some other time. But I just wanted to say Thank you so much because that's made a, a difference and good things are happening in that area. You don't always hear that. <laughs> you need to hear it. So I'll say it maybe for a couple of weeks. Thank you. So we've been going through the Psalms. We've been talking about how they're kind of honest about life. They don't sugarcoat it. They don't make excuses. They don't. The psalmist, when they write their Psalms, many of the Psalms, they... they they're wrestling with God. They're wrestling with life. And Psalm 39 is one of those psalms. It's a psalm of David, and he's struggling with God. He's having a hard time. He's not understanding. Uh, there, there's a certain amount where he does understand what he's going through, but he doesn't like it. <laughs> and, and maybe you've been there where you're, you're not sure what's going on or you're struggling with the, your circumstances. And there's a number of different psalms. There's like wisdom psalms. There's royal psalms. There's what we call imprecatory psalms where there's, you know, they're just basically arguing with God. Um, there's songs of lament. And a lament is just crying out. It's sorrow. It's, it's uh, just weeping before God. And that's really what Psalm 39 is. It's a, it's a psalm of lament. Uh, David is crying out to God. And the interesting thing about Psalm 39 is David doesn't end it like he does many of his psalms. Many of David's psalms, he begins by, you know, saying, God, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time, I don't know what to do. And then he kind of kind of wrestles, you know, through it. But then at the end, there's kind of, it's, his, his problem isn't fixed, but it seems like he's come to a place where he's made a resolve. He, he's found some closure. Like, for instance, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. I want to read you Psalm 17. I want to read the first and the last verse so you can kind of get what I'm talking about. Here's what he says in Psalm 17, verse 1. Hear me, Lord, my plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. That's verse 1. Here's the last verse. As for me... I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. So, so there we read a psalm where David is crying out to God and then he processes his feelings and his emotions and 
his soul is kind of wrestling with God, and then he comes out the other end and says, but I will see you one day, and I have, there's that, gl that glimmer of hope. You don't see that in Psalm 39. It's like, well, where's the rest of the psalm? Because David's still in turmoil. Well, let me read it to you. Join me as, as I read through Psalm 39. I said I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while, while, the presence, uh, while in the presence of the wicked. So I remain utterly silent, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. When I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end. And that the, days of my, uh, the number of my days, let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone, everyone is, is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth. For you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. And then notice how he closes this psalm. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> Nothing's resolved here. <laughs> Look away from me, Lord. So in this series, we're wrestling along with the psalmists. We're talking about when we're overwhelmed, when we're, we're, we, we feel like we're outnumbered. And, and, and today, we, you know, we want to look at, this weekend, we want to look at when we feel that life has lost its purpose. Because I think that's where David is at at this point. And when the psalmists are wrestling, they're wrestling with questions and feelings and concerns. And, and as a Christian, if you're a normal, everyday Christian... You are going to wrestle with issues. There's going to be things in your life that times, some that you bring upon yourself, others that just happens because you're a human and you're living on a, a fallen world and there are fallen people around you, including you. But we don't understand and we struggle. And in our journey with the psalmist, we find that their problems usually aren't resolved. They, they don't get their, their problems resolved, but we can learn from them and we can grow from them and we can get help from them. Uh, we can get health for our souls. So how do we process our feelings? And, and I want to just give you a, just kind of an overall statement, and maybe this is for the whole series as you think through this. Here's what we should do. Don't deny your feelings. Don't stuff your feelings down. Don't vent your feelings out and blurt them all over people. Share your feelings with God. 
pray your feelings to God. Pray them out. That's kind of what David's doing here. Why do we need to do that? Because we need that. We need to process our feelings in a constructive way. So the question is, what can we learn from Psalm 39 from David about how we're to process our feelings, how we're to manage those times when we're going through uh, life and life is hard and we, we, we've lost our focus and we lost our purpose. Uh, let me give you a few things that I find in this psalm. Number one, when you're confused, angry, or upset, hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. Now notice what... Uh, there's a time that you should speak out and you should say how you feel and you should express your feelings and frustrations and fears and concerns. But David begins, notice, by saying, I put a muzzle on my mouth. I shut my mouth. I was in the midst of enemies and I kept my mouth shut. He says literally, I put a muzzle on my mouth while I was in the presence of the wicked. Sometimes it's absolutely correct to share your frustrations to God. Many of the psalmists do that. We just about read the, the psalm that I began with. That certainly David's doing that. But there's other times where we need to hold our tongue. We need to muzzle our mouth. Because the Lord is trying to teach us something important. And we need to listen. We need to hear his voice. We need to be quiet before him. And I think in a, in a loud world that we live in today, it's hard to do that. It's very hard to do that. Um, you know, as I was thinking about that, being quiet before God, uh, I was thinking about Job. So Job is an Old Testament book. Many people believe that it was written around the time period of the book of Genesis. So it's a very old book. And it's about a man who had everything that this world could offer. He had a beautiful family, had a lot of wealth, and, and life was going well for him. And even, even more than that, it says about him that there was not a man on the planet like him. God said that about him twice in the first couple of chapters. There's not anybody like him. He loves God. And so uh, he goes through some tre tremendously difficult times. First, he loses all his wealth. And the next thing is he loses his family, except for his wife, which would have been nice if she had been at the party. But <laughs> that's mean. Yeah, well, you know, you read the story, you'll get my point. <laughs> but, but then he gets these friends that show up and... They begin to tell him, here's why you're suffering, because in that day, like our day, you don't suffer because you don't deserve it. You are getting what you deserve. And so if you're suffering, you must have done something. And that's kind of what they keep saying to him. And all Job says all through that is, I just want an audience with God. I just want an audience with God. I just want an audience with God. Well, at the end of the book, and it's powerful. You should go home and read it uh, this, tonight, this weekend. Because God answers him. And, and I want to read you that in Job chapter 38, verse 1 through 3. So the whole book, it's just been kind of dialogue going, okay, it's your turn, tell Job that he sinned. Okay, it's your turn. Okay, and then Job responds, and then they go through a couple, three rounds of that. And then finally God answers him. And this is what God says to him. It's not what you expected. It's not what I expected. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words, without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now, God goes on. That's chapter 38. Chapter 38. He goes on, chapter 38, 39, 40, 41. Four chapters. 
And he says, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were, there, were you there when I told the seas to go this far, far and no further? Were you there when I put the stars in the skies? Were you there when I... And he just goes on. Now tell me, were you there? Were you there? Were you there? And this is Job's answer to God. Job chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obstructs, obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And what Job is saying there is, Shut my mouth. Let me be quiet before you. Forgive me for presuming upon you. You are God and I'm not. You're the potter and I'm the clay. I forgot that. So there are times where we just need to be quiet. I'm reminded of Jesus when he faced his accusers. Remember when Jesus was uh, brought to those different trials and charges were brought against Jesus? Mark tells us what happened in chapter uh, 14. Then the high priest stood before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus re remained silent and gave no answer. Sometimes we just need to be quiet. By the way, when Jesus did not answer and did not give any word or defense about what they were doing that was wrong and it was not right, uh, he, it said, he fulfilled Isaiah 53. What does Isaiah 53, 7 said, say? He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a, a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. And so Mark is recording Jesus fulfilling this, the scripture, the prophecy of Isaiah, that the Messiah would be brought before his enemies. And what does the psalmist say in Psalm 39 where David says, I was in the midst of my enemies and I put a muzzle on my mouth. So that's the first thing. Secondly, when you realize life is short, count your days. So David is making some interesting things. He says life is like a phantom. It's like a vapor. It's like a breath. It's like a breath. Uh, life is short and uh, and yet, you know what? We act as like it's going to go on and on and on. We expect to tomorrow. We expect this week. We expect this month. We expect this year. We, we, we're shocked when our plans uh, are changed. The Hebrew word here for breath is very interesting. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book that's written. It's part of the wisdom literature of Psalms and Proverbs and Job and, uh, and uh, Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, and, and the word for, uh, the, the for, word for breath that David uses is used in Ecclesiastes. And let, me, the, the, and let me read you where it's used. Because Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1-2, uh, meaningless, meaningless, utter meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's breath. <laughs> That's that word, that Hebrew word for breath. And what Solomon is saying Essentially, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, what Solomon is saying is this. It's very interesting. 
he's saying, life under the sun is meaningless. Whether you're rich, whether you have whatever the world can offer you, if you have all of that, life under the sun is meaningless. And and the phrase that he uses, life under the sun, means a life without God. A life not taking God in, 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 in your plans. A life where you live just, it's me, it's this, this horizontal, but there's no vertical. There's no, there's no God in your life. And Solomon said, I tried everything under the sun and nothing filled my soul. That's essentially what he said. It was all meaningless. It was all, it was all worthless. It was all a waste of my time. So, so we have David considering how life how short and meaningless life can become. Uh, He saw it as a breath. He saw it as a phantom. And Solomon comes to the same conclusion that life lived without God is meaningless. It's short. It's it's meaningless. It's breathless. It's like a breath when we compare it to God. But also, I think of the story that Jesus told. Jesus told a story about a man, and he had a bumper crop. I mean, he had an incredible crop. And um, it says... That he came up with a plan. And it was a good plan. He says, you know what I'm going to do? Um, I'm going to build bigger barns. Because I have a big, a big harvest. And therefore, if I have a bigger, uh, big harvest, I'll have bigger barns to put it in. And so he made these plans. to. And you say, well, that's not a bad idea. Planning ahead is a good thing. Doing, you know, building bigger barns, that, that seems like a, a, a wise thing to do. Uh, but there's a little thing left there. And it kind of goes back to Ecclesiastes. It goes back to what David said. And this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? Do you remember as we read through Psalm 39, it says men go to acquire wealth and then they leave it to who knows who, right? Jesus says the same thing. Now, what was, this, what was this man's failure? This man's failure was not making plans, but making plans without God. Living as though there is no God. Living without God. Basically, he's saying the same thing. Life has no meaning without God. There is no purpose without God. There is no meaning without God. Now, if you're in one of our small groups, our sermon-based small groups, we're going to dig on this a little bit deeper this weekend. And uh, this weekend in the small groups. And, and that's uh, just an opportunity for you to say, let's go a little deeper on, let's talk a little bit about the purpose of meaning in life, how we find meaning. And, but we'll, we'll, the study guides, uh, the sermon guides, you can use those and, and find out more about. Here's the point that I want you to see, though. Our days on earth are short. Don't delay. Don't put off to tomorrow what you should do today. If you need to repent, do it today. Repent today. You know, if, if, if you need to prepare for the coming of the Lord today. You say, well, I don't think he's coming today. I don't think he's coming this week. I don't think he's coming this year. I don't think he's coming in my lifetime. The Bible says no man, no person, no woman, no child knows when he's coming. But our job is to be prepared for his coming. Tell people about Jesus before it's too late. Tell them today. Let people you love know that you love them today. You know, uh, your life would be a lot different, wouldn't it, if you knew that in the next week or the next month you were not going to be walking on this planet, wouldn't it? Your life would be quite a bit different, wouldn't it? 
Many of us would say it would be radically different. In the end, though, most of the things that you are wringing your hands about, most of the things that you're worried about, most of the things you're consumed about, if you had a week to live, if you had six weeks to live, you would go, don't care about that anymore. It's not important. It's not important. There's really only two things that will matter when you leave this earth. Really only two things. Number one, here's the first one. Where are you going to spend eternity? Where are you going to spend eternity? And that's based upon what have you done with Jesus Christ. Is he your savior or are you trying to save yourself? Secondly, not, the first question is where are you going to spend eternity? That's the most important question that needs to be settled. If you haven't settled that, do it today. Secondly, who will you take with you? Who's going with you? Uh, not what. There's no what. The what is what's causing you so much problems right now. <laughs> the what is my career, my job, my, 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 my financials, my, my health. In the end, the what's not going to matter. You're not taking your what. The question is, are you, where are you going to spend eternity and who are you taking with you? Who are you taking with you? Because in the end, eternity is a long time. So that's the second thing. David says life is like a vapor. Life is br brief. It's like a phantom. It's like a whisper. Number three, when you find yourself estranged from God, examine your heart. Now what we see from the Psalms, as we look through many of the Psalms, you'll see that God understands our weeping. He, he, it's safe to pour your heart out to him. But look at what David is saying at the end of the psalm. As I said, David's psalm ends very different than most of his psalms. He says, look away from me that I may enjoy life before I depart and am no more. In other words, he's saying, God, your hand is heavy upon me and I can't take it anymore. Just let me die. Essentially, that's what he's saying. Now, this seems like the opposite of what we should pray. Um. Should we be talking like this? This doesn't seem right. This is uh, no way to end a psalm. But for David, it was. For David, it was. Now, what are we to make of that? What are we to make of it is that David is working through some very deep feelings and emotions and frustration. David is desperate. What you read in Psalm 39 is a man who is desperate. And God knows how we speak to him when we're desperate. The issues in his life are not resolved. He's still processing them. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't put a bow on things. The Bible doesn't resolve tension. The Bible in this psalm is saying life sometimes is a, brings you to a point where you wonder if it has any meaning at all. But when your feelings overwhelm you, it's safe to pray like this to God. To pray out our anger, our tears, our fears. Don't leave them deep within your heart. Cry them out to God. Pray them out to God. David understood that it was his sin that had alienated him from God. God didn't move, David did. And that's really important. Because sometimes we wonder, well, God, where are you? And the answer is, 
You were the one that moved, not God. You were the one that walked away, not God. David understood that. Our sin always alienates us from God. If your heart is not warm to God, you may have lost your first love. And that's the one thing that you should ask. It, what I find is when I sit down and talk with people and say, it just feels like God is so far away from me. And I'll just ask them basic questions. And I say, well, tell me about your prayer life. Well, I don't pray very much. Well, tell me, when was the last time you sat down and, and allowed the word of God to, to speak to your heart, to feed your soul? Well, I haven't done that very much. Well, do you have issues in your life that, that you think God, you need to resolve with God? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, my guess is that those things might, turning those things around might help you. That might be the answer. Uh, you know, as you go through this, I'm reminded of Jesus as he speaks to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And one of the churches is Ephesus. And this is what he says about Ephesus. He, he, he affirms them and encourages them. They've done a good job. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Does that reflect your heart this weekend? That, that something that had burned really hot now doesn't burn quite as hot. And I would suggest to you that the further you move away from God's word and God's people and and just spending time with God and allowing God to be in your life and dealing with sin, the more that you allow that to happen, the more that you'll feel further and further away from God. And the further and further away from God you move, the less purpose and meaning and joy and hope you will find in your life. Here's the last one. When you don't know where to turn, Look to the cross. How do we know that we have a God who understands what we go through? Because we have a God who came from his throne in heaven, was born a baby in a manger, lived a perfect life, was crucified on a cruel cross, and was executed as a criminal. He suffered. A, suffered that, a suffering that ended in his death. Remember Jesus in the garden, his grief in the garden? He showed that his sorrow was killing him before he even got to the cross. He is sweating blood, drops like blood, before he's even gotten to the, gar before he's even gotten to the cross. And on the cross he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's all alone. He, he's, he's, he's abandoned. Some of you have said to God, turn away from me. But God keeps coming to you in love because he didn't turn his face away from Jesus. You see, God doesn't turn away from you because he turned away from his son for you. What Jesus was experiencing on the cross was abandonment. His father had abandoned him. He had to turn away. When Jesus took our sin upon him, and when he was rejected by everyone around him, including his Father in heaven, he cried out those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of you say to God, Turn away from me, but God keeps coming to you in love because he did 
turn his face away from Jesus. See, when you wonder about his love, when you wonder about his plan and provision, remember Jesus crying out in the garden. Remember Jesus hanging on the cross. Remember how he was abandoned for you, how he was rejected for you. We always have to turn to the cross. We always have to say, I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm wrestling here. And Jesus would say, I understand that. I get that. I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to be overwhelmed. I know what it's like to be outnumbered. I know what it's like when, when it just, I just don't know where to turn and what to do. I know what it's like. I understand what you're going through. One last thought I want to give you. I've talked to people, and maybe you have too, and maybe there's someone here this weekend that you're thinking of abandoning Jesus. You, you didn't sign up for this. You thought that when you gave your life and heart to Jesus that your problems would go away and your struggles would be no more. And what you found is not only are your struggles more, but you are, you are now being rejected by people who used to accept you. Because they think you're better, they, they say you think you're better than me. You, 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 you think you have, and you, you're trying to live a, a, a moral and a decent life before God. You're trying to do what God's called you to do, and you find frustration and competition and 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 people lining up against you. And you say that that life would be so much easier if I just went and did whatever I wanted. I just, I just feel like look away from me, God. I just want to be done with it. I want to be over with it. I want to. I want to walk away. I just want to say this to you, if, you're, if that's kind of how you feel. There are a lot of people that were looking to Jesus to be the Savior, to be the Messiah. And when they saw him hanging on the cross, many, if not most, if not all, except for a few, walked away. And they said, another Messiah failure. We've seen a bunch of them. We've seen the Maccabees. We've seen all these failures. Just another one of the failures. Nothing to see here. What they did not realize, that his death on the cross was one of the greatest, if not the greatest demonstration of God's grace and mercy for humanity the world has ever seen because it was through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection that he conquered sin and death for us so they walked away in the midst of the greatest demonstration of God's mercy and grace the world has ever seen the son the son of God hanging on a cross for sinners the one who knew no sin becoming sin for God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one who lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. They walked away saying, there's nothing to see here. Even his disciples. I'm thinking of Peter. Remember the words of Peter? As Jesus walked on this earth, there was a lot of people that were kind of walking away because Jesus was saying some hard things, difficult things, things that people didn't want to hear anymore. 
And Jesus basically says this to them, and I'll, I'll read you those words. He says, from that time, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus turns to the twelve and he says this. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. My question is, for those that may be here, that may be hearing this this weekend or hearing it or watching it online, you can turn and walk away from Jesus. The question is, what are you turning to? Where are you going to find your forgiveness? Where are you going to find your hope? Where are you going to find purpose? He, he is the answer. He is the Savior, the only Savior, the only answer, the only Lord. So where, what are you exchanging that Jesus for? Peter had it right. Lord, where else would we turn if we turn away from you? Good question. Good question. Sometimes people turn away from Jesus without having anyone or anywhere to turn to. David's struggling at the end of the psalm. He doesn't really have the answer. But he is crying out to God. He's processing his feelings. He's kind of struggling in his soul. But he was a man that we read in Scripture was a man after God's own heart. And I think one of the reasons he was a man after God's own heart was because he wrestled with God in these issues. So we're going to continue wrestling through the psalms. But may God help us to understand that it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay not to have everything fixed and resolved. But let's remember the words of Peter. If we turn away, who are we going to turn to? Stand with me. Let's pray. And Father, there, the answer is there is no other. There is nowhere else to turn. You are life. Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who rose, and as he rose, so too will we. In the world, we will have tribulation. But thank you that we have a Savior who understands our tribulation, who has conquered sin and death and rose from the grave, a Savior who says, I will never leave you. I will always be with you. A Savior who has given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. May we never walk away, Father, because there's no one to walk to other than you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we get through him. And Father, for the people who are struggling this weekend, we pray that they would find a new inner hope a new healing for their soul, that there is one who is right along with them, who understands their suffering and pain and loneliness, and one who has conquered sin and death. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. 
We give you praise and honor and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.